0: Simply call the family guy. The show is simple, called the family guy. Funny talking, baby.
1: That's it. I have a question about that. <laughs> okay please ask was the was the um uh, uh did you did the karaoke track get behind you or did you get ahead of the karaoke track on your side because on my side for whatever reason the karaoke track hiccuped and you were ahead of it and i'm wondering if we shared that or if that was just on me and my bad computer and bad internet i have no idea
2: okay <laughs> uh I'm gonna you get what I'm asking guess. uh yeah, i'm gonna guess <laughs> i'm gonna guess a little peek behind you know the 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 velvet curtain that the viewers don't aren't privy creak. to seeing creak slam, shit uh it's the heaviest the sh- curtain it's the he- it sounds like a metal door like a freezer door <laughs> right like jack in the box or something. Uh, that you go into, and that's where you keep the podcasts. Some some places say fresh, never frozen podcasts. Not us.
1: No, we are frozen. We are frozen. We <laughs> they are found up. our podcasts in the in uh, glacier ice sheets <laughs> that are falling <laughs> off of the uh, falling off the Arctic Circle and just floating through the North Atlantic Current or whatever. That's that why, is why how our are scared
2: about global warming is because the. the it's because they the
1: get more of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the podcasts are melting at an alarming rate. Al Gore is pissed. Adam McKay is pissed. Hell, everyone should be pissed about something like that. I, said, um, I don't fucking know, dude.
1: Sorry. Okay, whatever. Just. It was the first time that's ever happened while we're doing the record. And I just had to ask, but it's OK. Oh, what I was going I to say it. is that
2: the, the uh-huh. peak behind the production curtain is that we we have gone through, I think, every possible technical difficulty on this show in the almost two years that we've been doing it.
1: Yeah, uh, we've been zoomed more times than I can count. Um, we've had episodes where. I'm listening to the album right as we're starting recording. Uh, I moved across the country. 15 episodes after it started.
2: <laughs> we started. We originally did Skype, which was awful for me because I remember yeah. specifically during uh, the Brian Carpus episode, which was one of our. I think one of our was that our first guest episode in the digital era.
1: No, because Jack Freiburger was on before that.
2: Oh, that's right. Okay, so fuck it. Never mind. Uh, But I remember during that episode just, like, being so delayed by you guys that I literally, like, almost considered being, like, we got to stop. We got to stop the show because, like, I'm, like, easily five seconds behind you guys right now. And it was hell
1: on earth. Damn. Damn. Well, we got through it. (laughs) Kind of.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We kind of got through it. We just i paid for zoom <laughs> that's, that's it yeah the that's fix. the the solution oh, is
1: is pay for zoom folks because you have the ability to well and then we moved from skype to discord which did which was a smooth transition but there's no way to back up calls like there are with skype and so i didn't like discord and then we yeah. found the happy medium which is the paid paid zoom and you know so, what it's yeah. worth it
2: it is so worth, worth it. it
1: yeah absolutely
2: Mason, I'm drinking a diet uh, <laughs> Coke and- ask
1: <laughs> in a big root beer mug. <laughs> in a big well, so
2: when my sister comes over, we're recording <laughs> recording these episodes out of order. So by the time this comes out, by the time this comes out, I'll be in L.A. So congratulations to me on that. But yeah. when my sister used to come over to the house when I was living there. <laughs> she would get mad that my dad would call this a cup. She would be like, do you, have any, "Do you have any cups?" And he would be like, "Yeah, we've got we got a lot of cups in the in the cabinet." And she would be she would be like, "No, that's a mug." And he would be like, "What's the difference?" And she would just flip out. And that was an Excellent. awesome moment that we all got to share together. Those sort of awesome family moments, you know that I'm gonna yeah. miss.
1: That, uh, that you are, yes, I, that is, that's, that's a nice story. I'm glad you told me that. I'm thinking back, uh, my family was normal and had glass cups that you would put your beverages into or plastic cups. Did you have a favorite cup growing up? Mine was a big plastic, uh, cup that my parents had that could fill all the ice you wanted and any beverage you wanted in there. Um, did you have a favorite cup?
2: I probably, well, we transitioned pretty early on in my childhood to like having like water bottles so you would just gotcha. fill up your water bottle but i have a favorite plate um have have a tol- favorite plate yeah have i told well actually i have two favorite plates and they sort of go in and out of rotation right now one is heavily more in rotation than the other have i told you about these plates before i feel like i must have. maybe
1: you told me but i don't think the audience knows anything about these plates
2: so when i was in preschool both of these have origins in my early childhood Let's just get that out of the way. I want to get out in front of it and say these have origins mm-hmm. in my early childhood. Um, I made a plate for my family at preschool. Like a mm-hmm. ceramic plate that was fired. And it was like, you can eat off this plate. And they did it two years in a row for the two years that I attended this preschool. The first year, self-portraits. The second uh. year, family portraits. Aww. <laughs> so the first the first year uh self portraits i'm going i'm going to have to fucking take a photo of this and it's going to have to be the uh, the album or the show art yeah. now it is what has been colloquially dubbed the human being uh by my by <laughs> my dad and it is just a red guy <laughs> just, just, just just a red circle with like two dots as eyes like probably not even really smiling, just like a very neutral expression. Sure. And then an arm on each side coming out of the body, and then two legs coming out, and just this very neutral expression. And then I think it says Noah Superstars two thousand one on it. Like along the like along the circumference.
1: Hell yeah. That's um, was Superstars the name of your preschool program?
2: It must have been, I think, or maybe like the that. That year's program because I did. And two so that's years what you just
1: put your French fries on, <laughs> your uh, your meatloaf, my very under or, my
2: very undercooked
1: spaghetti. Yeah, just like yeah, very hard yeah, yeah, al yeah. dente pasta. You put you just you just open it. Up. Listen, why wait for it to boil? Just. Throw the stalks of spaghetti on that plate and munch on it like you're a little fucking rat.
2: <laughs> just be just go rat mode on some spaghetti and just fucking munch. Yeah, that shit.
1: drizzle a little cho- uh, stri- drizzle a little ketchup and feta on top of that bad boy to <laughs> give it a little bit of little add to the flavor and texture there. You know. Okay, and I guess we know what in, spaghetti. <laughs> well, I guess we know
2: what Mason's struggle meal is. <laughs> what what Mason's depression meal is. Uh, but I did have a second plate that was. Miles cooler, but I haven't used it in a second. And I remember, I'm Jewish, was raised Jewish. yeah. uh, So we celebrated Hanukkah, not Christmas. And I remember Mm. one night during probably peak, like probably four or five years old, like peak excitement, you know, about that kind of stuff. And I had opened my present for the night. And I was like, fuck, I want to open another present so bad. You know, I want to open another present so bad. And so I said to my, begged my mom,
0: please
1: tell you something. (laughs) Yeah, please tell you something. You resumed that entire story. I got. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. Okay, finish it. Finish it. It'll be a nice treat for me to when I'm editing. But anyway, finish the story. Yeah. All
2: right. So I begged my mom, please let me open another present. Please Mm. let me open another present. She said, okay, but if you open this present tonight, you have no present to open tomorrow night because, of course, Hanukkah is, in theory, eight days long of presents. And so I said, I don't care. That's fine. I'll I'll take it, you know, or whatever. She said, okay, go ahead and open. She handed me the one that she wanted me to open or whatever. She said, open this one. And I opened it. And it was a Pokemon the anime, like, dish set, basically. It was, like, a bowl... And a spoon and a fork and a plate and maybe a cup, probably a cup from what I can remember. Was it
1: like all the Pokemon characters on it or were they like featured featured Poke players? The
2: plate and the bowl, I think, had, I mean, it was not all the Pokemon, but this was like OG, like Series 1, probably Pokemon, maybe like Series Mm -hmm. 2 or whatever. I don't want to get flamed on the internet for calling it Series 1 when it's really Version 1 or, you know, Family 1 or whatever it is. Um and, like, it is cool, like, in retrospect. But, Mason, at the time, I, like, was devastated that I got a no. plate and a bowl. So, just like a little asshole, I was, like, crying and just, like, so sad that, like, my present was a plate and a bowl. And my parents are like, remember when you cried about getting a plate and a bowl that had Pokemon on it? Remember when you and cried like, about a
1: very nice and thoughtful present?
2: <laughs> <laughs> remember, Remember when you were an ungrateful piece of shit at five years old? And I'm like... Well, I try not to, but, you know, thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) But, yeah, those are my favorite plates.
1: Very cool. And we just did an episode of my podcast
2: in theory, right? (laughs) Talking about my favorite plates. I think
1: we did. Yeah, yeah. That would be – it was, and it was great. It was nice and quick. It was less than 15 minutes long, and now, you know, anyone that was listening to the first and only episode of My Favorite Plates can move on with their life and listen to our podcast it's on the list with Noah and Mason. I'm Miss. I'm I'm Little Piggy. Mason joined as always by the funny baby Noah Marger. Hello, Little Piggy. Oink oink oink. I'm gonna move in my bedroom so that I can get better internet. Um, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, what's up? Eh, what's up?
2: Um, going to the dentist today. Before this. Oh, okay. Um, had a pretty annoying. Dental hygienist. Um, Usually I have a really nice one who I've known for a long time. uh, And today I did not have a good one. I was getting kind of pissed off at her at certain points. Um, So that was fun. And uh, ate a chicken parm sub outside.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yummy, yummy. So good. I also went outside today. I went on a little, uh, I walked out of, I watched the movie that we're going to discuss holy and then shit i went on a walk to palmer's uh palmer park which is a little little kind of it's a park it's it's a, you get exactly what it is right on the tin uh about quarter mile south of me right now in logan square and i sat there under a nice shady tree and just listened to music and read my book a little bit and then i walked home and i got a salad from target and i ate that outside also it's a Eight. nice day Ain't, ain't that the, Ain't
2: that what life's all about? Getting that target salad, listening to music, walking around yeah, outside. Brother. I think that's it. Yeah, I think brother. that's life. Life it. as we know it. Um, speaking of listening to music, Mason. Hmm. Hmm. Don't we have a? We have an album to talk about today,
1: don't we? We have a fucking album to talk about <laughs> today, mate. Hold up a second. Let me get me. Your <laughs> Jesus. This this this, this is all right. This
2: is the this is the episode where it falls apart for real. You know, it's been slowly fucking decaying for
1: almost two years, and this is the ep where it finally happens. This is it. We've made it. We've, we congratulations, folks. You made it this far. The the podcast has been uh is over. It's fucking over. Um no, but we got an album. Can I introduce it?
2: Mm-hmm. The album we're talking about today is a Noah Pick. It's 2018s. Loner by caroline rose snap 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 snap
1: mason what's your history with this album uh so i first became aware of caroline rose because i think that she uh do you remember um dustin marshall from feral audio no The podcast producer oh yeah so he's a uh he's a an unwell man uh but he uh produced uh Harman town i believe and had his own little podcast network and i followed him on twitter and i he uh right when i moved to la and he posted a song uh, just or just about caroline rose i think uh and then in maybe 2016 uh or 20 at some point the song soul number no. five dropped in my discover weekly and i was like holy shit this song is great and I don't know if I listened to the full album at that time or not. Sure. I've heard subsequent songs um, since then, but this is basically if the first time I'm doing this top to bottom. You know? Oh, this is your this so is your, your first run like this. through. This
2: is your first run through of the album as a whole.
1: Essentially, yeah, essentially. So f- wait, Feral Audio.
2: Not to fucking harp on this guy too much because I don't want to give him attention, undeserved attention. But I think Doughboys were on Feral Audio before they went to Headgum. So I think that's the only like indication of them that I know of. Um, And then they so that just that just absorbed. They just got rid of that thing when that guy had some some issues. That's what that happened to that basically.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, I don't believe it is a functional podcast um, network anymore. Well, shout out to the Doughboys for not getting not getting not getting fucked over by that.
2: Uh, my history with this—are you? Can you believe that I'm about to drop this history on you, Chef? I don't think you can. No, so, I cannot. <laughs> I'm on my road trip. I'm in Montgomery, Alabama, which is uh, not a good place—not <laughs> not that good of a place, uh, in my opinion. Okay. So, sorry if you're from Montgomery or if you like Montgomery. You and I—we just don't see eye to eye on that. Uh, maybe we do see eye to eye on that if you're from Montgomery and hate it. Maybe we actually do see eye to eye on that. But nonetheless, I was going to Red Robin, which is one of my favorite ah. places in the whole world. Right. Uh, love that place. And the song Feel the Way I Want came on Spotify Radio mm. or um, Discover Weekly or something. It just came up for me. And I'm mm. like, ooh, this kind of rocks. This kind of This is a jam. So I went to the artist profile, Caroline Rose. Very cool. Love that. Uh, what's up with Caroline Rose? And I listened to all of Superstar, uh, which is the album that came out, as we will find out again later in the Fast Facts, days before things started to shut down. Like, maybe a week mm. before things started to, like, really shut down uh, in 2020. I think March 6th or something like that. Um And I was like, holy shit, this is cool. This is like Superstar, which we're not talking about today. We're talking about Loner. But Superstar has a little bit of like a concept-y feel to it. Like it feels like it's kind of like telling a story throughout. It had like Mm -hmm. Alex Cameron vibes, but like a little bit more like conceptual as a whole um, in terms of the album trying to tell a story. And I was like, this is cool. This is like very dark and very like like... Like mysterious, also a little bit like seductive and like romantic and stuff, but I was very mm. just intrigued by it. But I did enjoy that album quite a bit. So I literally was like, I enjoyed it so much I'm like, okay, what else is, what's up with Caroline Rose? So I immediately then put on Loner. And I was like, oh, I like this even more than Superstar. Mm. Like at first I was like, oh, I gotta bring Superstar on the pod. But then I listened to Loner and I was like, no, 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 no. I like Lo- I think Loner is much more enjoyable just overall as a whole. Um, and I listened to the whole thing in a Red Robin in Montgomery, Alabama, and subsequently driving from that Red Robin to the movie set that is still up, or what is still up of the movie set of Big Fish, which is pretty cool.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. They just keep this the movie set up for Big Fish? Down they in kept Alabama? up
2: Spectre, the town of Spectre. They kept up uh, interesting. the church, the line where everyone throws the shoes. They had some of the trees, because they filmed it on... I think it's called fuck. It's some island. I think in Lincoln might literally be called Goose Island straight up. Maybe it's not. I can't oh, remember. Oh, we got
1: one of those here in Chicago. Wait, do you? We got a Goose Island in Chicago. Yeah. Fuck. I got to figure I got to figure this out real for the fans who
2: the fans who know, the fans who are in the know um, about what this place is called. All but the Chicago
1: fans are screaming at you right now for having to look this information up. We got there's <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> pissed br- off at me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, everyone's pissed off at me. Yeah, big fucking surprise. Yep. Haven't dealt with that before in my fucking life. Um so uh I love this. I loved the album when I heard it and I was like got to bring it on the show. And I kind of had just been listening to it in the rotation. Like it's just been a rotational album for me, but I saw Mason that when I was listening to the album that I had also given Soul number no. 5 a heart before I had ever heard the album.
1: What the hell?
2: And I was like, I must have this must have been on a Discover Weekly or a Spotify radio or something of like a song or an artist Mm -hmm. that I was listening to. So so that's that's the history with Caroline Rose. And, you know, I was kind of like doing the prep for this and I was trying to think about like what's the angle here, like what can I talk about this album? Like what's what am I really trying to dig in on here? But Mason, Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. think this is a great album. And I kinda just wanted people to know about it. And that's kind of why
1: I brought it on the show. Cool. Sorry, I'm just pulling up uh, the album on my side so I can see when I liked each of the songs here. Um, if Spotify will show me the date... Is
2: Spotify going to help you out here? Is they going to fucking help you out? No.
1: No. Fine. Let's anyway. See date. My date added. In any case, um, I <laughs> like this album a lot. There are songs on it that I really, really, really enjoy and were a treat to... Um, discover um i don't uh that were a treat to discover or just re-listen to or have back and i agree with you i think that she's a it's interesting that her second album is more concept because the stuff on here that i like the most has like little t- traces of concept in them i think um i think that this is this is large the, the songs that work on here for me have kind of a nice little like twist on like alienation or um, dissatisfaction. Um, and you can kind of like see a little narrative that happens here, but I don't think that it's, uh, and the ones that I don't like, I don't think f- quite fit into that. Maybe that's a me thing, but I'm not sure. But I will say, Noe, I gave the heart to, I've given the heart in the past to soul number five, Jeannie becomes a mom and cry. So let's essentially the ones that I knew beforehand. Okay. And I added one for bikini getting to me, and more of the same, which is most of the album here. And I think if I gave it another listen, I would give hearts to Talk and Animal, but I was a little colder on those ones off the top. That's interesting that you say th- that because
2: Talk and Animal have grown on me the most. Those are the songs that I'm sure, have sort of grown yeah. on me as I've had the album in rotation. I used to think that the back three songs, Bikini, Talk and Animal, were probably overall the weakest part of the album, but I'm slowly straying away from that thought and just kind of feeling like all there are there there's 11 songs in this album i think 10 of uh, them are really good songs there's one song that i'm not super crazy on and that's to die today that's just not I don't really like that one that much either um feels very incongruent yeah. with the rest of the album both in like concept and sound i feel like it just really sticks out that way
1: i could honestly i could also do without money um uh, but I think that um, the stuff that really works on here for me r- is really, really, really uh, works really, really well, um, particularly more of the same. Um, my note for that one is it's just like this, <laughs> you know, sometimes like you just um, you kind of get in. Sometimes you can get into cycles of um, dissatisfaction, and alienation and, and loneliness. And I think this song like, communicates that really well. Um, and this, I like her, so here's my kind of thing, what I really like the most about her, I think that her, um, electronic production in most of these songs, it kind of characterizes this album, or at least most of the songs on there with one notable ex- exception, um, really service her, like, even when she's writing about, like, kind of, um, not always fun topics like alienation or dissatisfaction or or loneliness or things like that. Um, She's very like sharp about it and very energetic that makes these just like just a a solid collection of really, really good pop songs. Um, I like the album is what I'm all I'm trying to say.
2: Thank you. And I agree with you. I think that her strength is the fact that, the songs are fun to listen to. They're about something personally relevant. You know, they're about like you were saying, dissatisfaction, alienation, Mm -hmm. you know, these like very prevalent feelings, especially during the pandemic. I feel like, you know, that's like Mm -hmm. a feeling that I think people are feeling, you know, more and more. uh, And unfortunately, as we continue into the pandemic, you know, maybe people are still feeling those things. Uh, on a rev- on a regular basis uh, because of the pandemic or not because of the pandemic. But all the less, it really does feel good to listen to when the person speaking about those things feels passionate or feels like they have something to say about those topics. And it sort of gives those yeah. things power and it sort of gives those things, you know, a voice, you know, as silly as yeah. that might sound or as basic as that might yeah. sound. It's nice.
1: Yeah, it is, and I think that 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 um, point that you just brought up there is the reason why I don't really like the songs "Money" or "To Die Today." I think she's a very smart songwriter, and I think that she has a great musical sense and a great sort of emotional sense. Um, and I think that um, you know she's able to write an introspective song as well as she is a, a song about. Uh, I think there's an introspective streak to her which I really attach to and really really like. I also like how she her the performance of a lot of these songs. I like how she sells um, the sort of like desperation that there's like this kind of desperate like under sort of tone to Soul Number Five. uh, Like while it is like a good pump up song, Um, there's a little bit of desperate desperation in there, which I think really sells and pushes it over for me. But she sings that different from the song Genie Becomes a Mom, which is about like. Growing up and watching your friends, or at least I read it as, you know, watching life go ahead of you while you're feeling like stuck and stagnant, um, that the world, the world don't stop even when you're living in color and now you're in real life. I, I really like that, that sentiment yeah, dude, there. Just,
2: just the emphasis in Jeannie becomes a mom of now you're in real life. In real life. Just like, yeah. you know, you live your life. Basically, if you do decide, you know, if you finish high school and you go to college for the first like twenty-two ish years, you know, more or less of your life, yeah, you're very much on a track. You know, after yeah. you graduate seventh grade, you're going to go to eighth grade, then you're going to go to high school, then you're going to go to college. In theory, uh, you know, and most people follow that track or some version of that track. Then when they graduate, right. and, yeah, I was just, all all then you can you know jump in here, but all I was going to say is after you do that then you are it, it, you have to make your own demarcations in the world you are the one that's responsible for making those sort of like right. benchmark moments there aren't graduations as often and there aren't you know those moments that like symbolize like a new thing unless you go out and make them or just happen to you know be experiencing or- them
1: Or something like, you know, this – I'm at a point in my life where a lot of people I know and have known for years are, like, getting married, and a lot of them are also, like, having kids, which is kind of – after you graduate college, like, that becomes, quote-unquote, real life, you know? Like, these other benchmarks that you have to hit. Like, you have to get married or you have to have kids, and um, it's weird to see that milestone come for, like, family of mine and friends of mine. I've been to – my, two of my cousins that are the closest to me in age got married within the last year, basically. You know? Right. Um, and a lot of my friends are, are getting married and, like, moving into houses and, and things like that. Um, and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, neither uh, do I. <laughs> neither, I don't know what the yeah, fuck you are exactly. doing either. <laughs> but, there's, but there's nothing that you can do to stop that stuff from happening. Yeah, it just <laughs> happens. Know? It just happens. Uh, you kind of have to go with it. This is, I think... This is such a a, a danceable album and an album that I think when it really finds its flow is really, really, really strong. And like we were saying, I think to to die today kind of interrupts the flow a little bit. Um, And money also kind of interrupts the flow for me a little bit, too, which is why I'm not super keen on it. But like you could get a solid like kind of sad dance or a sad like kind of just move around the room to most of the songs on this album. Which is one of the highest endorsements that I can give, truthfully.
2: Yeah. And that's, I think it's, money is sort of an interesting point because it's probably in the lower rung of songs that I like on the album, but it still is of the 11 songs I did give it the heart on Spotify. I do gotcha. like that okay. song. Uh, and I think that to me sort of showcases her like satire abilities and her abilities mm. to what's something that I love about. Alex Cameron and something that I love about Randy Newman, something that now that I love about Caroline Rose, is sometimes she, Caroline Rose, she might not be the one speaking. Maybe a character is speaking, or maybe there is a different perspective in the music that's not Caroline Rose, just as Alex Cameron does, just as Randy Newman does, you know, very, very frequently. And I really enjoy that. I really like when that can happen, because you don't see that all that often, and it provides a new perspective just like in a movie like i don't know it's a silly example but like in american psycho you know that's an unreliable narrator you know more right. or less you know just yeah. like maybe the just like maybe the person singing in money is an unreliable narrator or it's just such sharp satire that it's like yeah we get the point that you're trying to make so that's why i enjoy that one because i think it is sort of a shiny example of her like thematic writing abilities and her like meta writing abilities, not just as a songwriter, sure.
1: but just as sort of a thematic writer, you know? So I am going to pick up on, I'm going to piggyback on that thought about her strengths as a thematic writer, because I think my favorite song on this album, which I mentioned was new to me on this, this go through, is Getting To Me, which is... Um, That's your favorite on the whole album? Well, it's the one that, uh, it's it's the one that popped for me the most, because like I said, I I've heard many of the uh, uh, three of these songs before I can confidently say uh and I had not really heard getting to me and so when it started and it's a little more um because genie becomes a a mom has this sort of like cosmic sort of outro like her voice like kind of becomes layered and it gets it's huge sure and then genie and then getting to me is like much more I'm say I'm gonna say hollow sounding at the top and I'd mean that like as a compliment almost. Like it's a, it kind of brings the album in in a way that I really, really like. And it kind of it starts with her, you know, counting uh or either Caroline Rose or the character in the song, you know, counting the placemats and things like that. Sure. And um I just like the way that the song builds. I like the build in that song the most which is uh really what it's i've listened to it a couple times before we started recording here and um just every time that i like put it on the kind of out of the outside the context of the album here's what it reminds me of which is what i really like about it it reminds me of, like, there's a little bit of, like, kind of Christine McVie flair from, like, Tusk. Like, Tusk, the the Fleetwood Mac album specifically. Very interesting. Um, Like, that, uh, yeah, in a way that I I hadn't heard anyone try to emulate or or get close to. Um, And that's, I love that album. Christine McVie is my favorite Fleetwood Mac member. And when something, like, kind of sets off that kind of... um, Uh, uh, that buzzer in my brain Uh, I think it's really cool and it's it's the reason why it's probably popping for me the most on the day of record here that might change if I I... listen to this album again it's interesting that Christine McVie is your favorite Fleetwood Mac member
2: Uh, my favorite Fleetwood flag member is uh, Fleetwood Mac so the only other thing I wanted to say about this album (laughs) that sucks that is so fucked up I'm I'm sorry I said that shit um only other thing I really wanted to say about this and we've sort of danced around it a little bit but as a core of what I could tell Caroline Rose is also like a multi-instrumentalist so I think a lot of what we're hearing yeah. on the album in terms of the actual music I think is her you know at its core I think that it's her you could be right I think you, I think you could be right about that and the guitar and synth like, Harmony that they find on this, the way that the synths and the heart and the guitar interact is so cool to me because it's got that sort of like rock, pop, punk feel While also feeling a little like 80s, a little throwback. And also the synth, I think, help makes it dark. And I like the darkness that exists on this album. I like that it's either always under the surface or right on the surface. I like that she doesn't stride away. From the darkness, and you know it's going to be a little bit satirical and also a little on the dark side because the album cover to this is supposedly her it's in awesome. a red—it's her in a red tracksuit with a red towel with about what twelve cigarettes in her mouth trying to light them all at once. Like it's awesome. Uh, right before I give fast facts, I will just say as well, more the same thing. Cry, Jeannie becomes a mom, soul number five. Those are my those are my top. Those are the top rung of songs for me on this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. a hot take, but those are just the ones that I think really pop. Uh, we got some fast facts. It's on the facts. Fast facts. It's on the facts. Everybody wants tell to. Tell me get. some
1: fast facts.
2: So get your facts and bring your, me- your movies. And we will do some room facts. Carolina Rose was born. 1989 in Long Island, New York. Grew up in the hamlet. That's what they call neighborhoods on Long Island for some fucking reason. Uh, Center Moriches, New York. That is the neighborhood of Long Island that she grew up in. She's the daughter of two mm. artists, and Rose began writing songs and poems at 13. She attended Wellesley College in Massachusetts, where she graduated in 2011, with a bachelor's degree in architecture, of all things.
1: Hey, very cool.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Well, the only person I know, there's two people I know who are either getting a degree in architecture or have a degree in architecture. One of them is like 75 years old, and the other one is my cousin who is 18.
1: (laughs) So... You don't cool. hear a lot of. Tell lot of them people. to listen to the fucking show. <laughs> you don't get a lot of people
0: with architecture
1: degrees. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, let me call up my old bud, uh, or name redacted, who is an archi- who's studying architecture right now, and played drums and jazz band when I was in high school. Let's let's fucking go, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get these people go. in the fucking pod. Let's, let's have get. An arch- why did you ask them to be on the fucking pod if they're so relevant? Jesus Christ! Party.
2: Jesus Christ, dude. I can't. I'm not. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I can't take. Can't take the fucking abuse, dude. Uh, in 2012, <laughs> shut the fuck up for just a sec. In 2012, <laughs> a 22-year-old Caroline Rose and producer-slash-multi-instrumentalist Yer, J-E-R, Yer, Jer, I'm not 100% certain. Higher?
1: I, I'm a, yeah.
2: I. What did I just fucking say? Jer Coons launched a Kickstarter <laughs> to fund the production of Rose's first album, America Religious. The campaign exceeded its goal of $8,000, eventually raising 10115 The album... Blending American Folk, Country, and Rockabilly Styles was self-published that Mm. year. Two years later, Rose released her first nationally distributed album, I Will Not Be Afraid, on Little High Records. Like the first album, it was produced by Jer Coons and featured music in a variety of Americana musical styles, including two songs previously released on America Religious. I have not heard America Religious, but I did listen to select tracks from uh, I Will Not Be Afraid. -hmm. Can't even tell it's the same person. Truthfully, like interesting. You you can in the sense that like she sounds basically. You know the voice is very like recognizable, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like just like I can't believe that this is this like same person doing uh, loner. Basically, it's pretty it's pretty weird.
1: Interesting. Um,
2: Okay. So I can't give that album, I can't give I Will Not Be Afraid a recommend or a don't recommend, but it's definitely, like, if you like Loner and you're generally big on Caroline Rose sort of as a whole, it's worth at least exploring because it's very interesting to see, like, that's where she started. Um, And speaking of where she started, following the release of I Will Not Be Afraid, Rose took an extended hiatus from touring and releasing new material while she explored new musical directions that would broaden her sound. After three years, numerous personnel changes, and a new switch, or excuse me, and a switch to New West Records, Rose released her third album, the album is Loner. It's the album we're talking about today, co-produced by Rose and Paul Butler, and represented a radical shift away from the musical style of her previous works, blending pop, alt-rock elements, and incorporating prominent synthesizers throughout, as we had spoken about before. Although Rose played most of the instruments on the album, she formed a new band to perform on tour, so that's some Eddie Van Halen shit. Eddie Van Halen, if you guys didn't know, when Van Halen was making their music, he would go in and do everything, I think, except sing. Like, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar would come in, but yeah. Eddie Van Halen went in and did the drums, bass, guitar, keys, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's some pretty good company if you're with Eddie Van Halen in terms of like being able to do shit like that, to me. Um, and then, last but not least, on January 7th, 2020, Rose announced a new album called Superstar, releasing a single and music video for the song Feel the Way I Want. The single was accompanied by a video shot entirely on iPhone, which is cool. Maybe. Depends on what you mm-hmm. think about that. Uh, I think it's cool. According to Rose, the album is, quote, "...cinematic pop album that tells the story of someone who leaves everything behind they know and love <coughs> excuse me, uh, in search of something bigger and more glamorous. It's a story about losing yourself but also finding the brazen self-confidence to follow a dream." <laughs> the album was released On March 6th, 2020 We all know What happened after that Caroline Rose Made her television debut On February 24th, 2020 Performing Feel the way I want On Mason's favorite TV show of all time Late night with Seth Meyers Uh Got any You got, got You gonna defend yourself Or are you just gonna let People think That's your favorite show Mm-hmm.
1: A good one, I heard. I heard late night with Seth Myers. We're good, okay. We got slightly zoomed again. I just texted
2: you that we got slightly zoomed again. Uh, Mason, <laughs> my, my Mercedes valuable player for this is, of course, a song that we know and love. More of the same thing. Uh, to me, that's the most re listenable yeah. song. Uh, I love the way she goes just a little bit. I think that's awesome, the way that she says that. Probably, if I want to get more specific, that is probably the MVP, uh, Mercedes Valuable Player, of the whole album is the way she says that. But I'll give it to the song more of the same thing. And this is a full recommend, Loner by Ooh. Caroline Rose. Mason, I, what, what or what's going on with your Mercedes Valuable my Player? Mercedes my Mercedes
1: Valuable Player uh, will be the song Getting to Me, um, like I was talking about earlier. That's my favorite song and my favorite kind of, um, sorry for a little little noise behind there. I'm going to restart. Uh my Mercedes Valuable Player is the song Getting to Me, like I said earlier. Uh a great song um I think that really recalls some of my favorite just pop music um in general and is a really it's um this album is is uh uh you know, synth sounds and things like that and I really grasped onto something that sounded very solid. I like synth music, which is why I'm going to give this album just a regular old recommend. I think it's worth a spin or two. Um, and I think that most of the songs on here are um, just just really great, really catchy, really uh, infectious, sort of little little ditties. So give it a spin, give it a listen. Um, and that's that. That's that! Uh, Mason.
2: Yeah. Uh... Barring any more tech issues and uh, the energy that will be coming out of both of us uh, during this next segment, are you ready to discuss the film of the week?
1: Because I chose it, why wouldn't I be ready? <laughs> what is it? Well, here's the another. And we're gonna re, we're gonna open the um, the production meat locker here again. So just creak, slam. Um, last week. I had a little bit of decision anxiety, and I offered Noah Marger three choices of things that I wanted to bring on the show. Don't want to say what the other two are, because I think that they'd both be good topics for discussion elsewhere down the line, but the uh, choice that I ramped up to and wanted him to pick, I think, was this film, which is the 2005 suspense parable M. Night Shyamalan's The Village.
2: Snap, 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 Dance snap. I think snap. it's two thousand four, but all this it's all the same
1: at that point. uh what's your history with this movie? Well, I think, like a lot of people, the twist of this movie was spoiled years before I had ever seen like a clip from this movie. Um, this seemed like after the sixth Sense which is the famous twist movie, and Signs, which is the kind of... Um, Six Sense is technically his third movie, but it was the one that put him on the map, M.A. Charmelon that is. And uh, Signs is kind of like, oh, you know, maybe a sophomore slump kind of thing. And there's a weird twist in that movie, too, People seem to be really keen on spoiling what this movie was actually about. Uh, I think if anyone's listening to this and has heard about the, the heard of the movie, they know what the the, the quote unquote twist is. Um, so we'll be I will be talking about it fairly liberally, at least. But I knew what the twist was, and I had kind of let um, kind of bad faith. Flash animators on the internet or um, funny review men on the internet, um, I put a lot of time and attention into, and I kind of trusted their voices when I was like looking for things to to get into when I was a young kid. And they thought that this movie was very silly and there was absolutely no good in it whatsoever. I grew up a little bit. I kind of get out of that, that mindset, and I am able, after seeing Split... Oh, at some point, I should say I've seen, uh, you know, Unbreakable. I watched in college. It's still probably my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, I think in high school actually, but in any case, um, I think I'd watched. Uh, uh, I had started listening to the podcast Blink Check, and M Night Shyamalan was like their first, um, their first mini series that they did. I seen and I liked Split. I finally watched The Sixth Sense after putting it off, and I watch um, this because this is the movie that I'm most curious about. <clears throat> And I believe I've seen this movie. For, I see this movie for the first time in February 2019. So maybe when I am freshly um, out of my my production company job in Los Angeles. And I watch it on like a rainy February afternoon. And I fell hard for this movie. And I fell hard for the man, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and I had, of course. M. Night is back in the news. He directed the film Old, about the beach that makes you old. Yep. Noah and I have different opinions on that film. Yep. And I wanted to bring this movie on for a couple of reasons. One, because I really, really, really think it is. um, If you submit and surrender to the movie, it's a very rewarding parable about – grief and violence or uh uh, that is my take on it and i wanted to see how much i could piss off noah with this or maybe give him an experience that he wasn't expecting so chef do you have any history with this film in particular and what's your general take on the m night man So,
2: thanks for bringing the movie on, Mason. (laughs) Um, First and foremost, thank you. You can hear the very calm way that I'm speaking at the current moment, right? Thank you for bringing the movie on. I'm very calm at the moment. I'm just being very calm right now. Um, I didn't actually, you know, you said a lot of people think, you know, you think you know the twist going in. I genuinely did not know the twist going in.
1: Oh, okay, maybe that's a... A generational difference then. Maybe yeah. all the millennials know the kids and <laughs> the twist and the millennial Gen Z cuspers and Gen Zers don't. So maybe be, we'll have be know, a little could tight lift on this twist here.
2: <laughs> yeah, Maybe. I don't know. You see how calm I'm being right now? I just want to make sure everyone knows how calm I'm being <laughs> at the current moment. Just everyone can note how calm I am at the moment. Um, but I didn't actually know the twist that takes place. Or shall I say okay. the twists that take place maybe Mm. that's a maybe that's a spoiler within itself saying twists but I don't really think it is uh and the only thing I really knew I actually didn't know a lot about this movie really at all to be honest with you I knew that it was an M. Night Shyamalan film and I knew that a lot of people consider it to be the point at which bad things there's a lot of bad things that they wish and they wish and they wish in on me That that's sort of this movie in a lot of ways is considered the start of that in most people's eyes.
1: This is where people maybe start to feel he's getting a little bit too big for his britches and too ambitious. And it's solidified with Lady in the Water, which is right after this and The Happening, which is uh, maybe the the nadir of him, (laughs) of his sort of public. Well, there's in any case the Happening is a movie that not a lot of people also think, look back very fondly of, and <laughs> all to say, you're right. This is where the kind of page starts to turn a little bit. I want to quickly, quickly, because I actually realized I looked on uh, GoodOldLetterbox.com.
2: I've actually seen seven of M. Night's films, so I've seen a good amount of his movies. That's including mm. the movie that we're talking about today. Uh, he was probably one of the first tour directors that I like watched like, a certain amount of movies from. I watched The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, probably in the same year, probably both in high school, because I remember watching The Sixth Mm -hmm. Sense, knowing more or less what the twist was, but that, to me, is a movie where it's like, it doesn't matter that you know what the twist is. It's so entertaining to watch. Such a well-done movie. Uh, And I like Unbreakable a lot, too. I really like Unbreakable. I think it's really good. It's actually more or less... I would say an underrated film. I think it doesn't get the credit it deserves as far as being like a really good thriller, a really good superhero
1: movie, actually, believe it or not. Unbreakable? Uh, yeah, I like Unbreakable a lot. It's yeah,
2: it's really fucking good. I uh, think I got them both from DVD Netflix, believe it or not. Um, wow, wow. Wow, wow. Then I don't watch a lot of M. Night Shyamalan for a while. But the first screening because one of the perks of going to the film school that I went to is sometimes they get screenings of things before they come out. And this was fall slash winter of 2015, so I got Uh a pre-screening of The Visit. Have you seen Hmm. The Visit?
1: I've actually not seen The
2: Visit. Uh, I don't know if it's actually like a good movie or not, but the screening environment that I saw that in Some of the most fun I've ever had watching a movie in my entire life. People were like down to be silly and down to just like have a good time with what it was, which probably is the kind of audience you need when you're watching an M. Night Shyamalan movie these days. Um, It's just you need people to be down with whatever. So that was so fun, and I just have a good memory of that. Then things start to get a little wonky. I go to see Split with my mom when she comes to visit me for spring break, and we go to the AMC that's near my apartment. And I didn't like it. I don't think that's a very good movie. I think it's kind of boring. Uh, it's kind of all the things that I don't like about M Night Shyamalan, all sort of happening. Not to you know, not no pun intended uh-huh. <laughs> but uh-huh. they're all just sort of happening at once. But then this year, or I guess in the pandemic, I think I watched it this year. I did watch the happening. Uh, and I think that movie is fun as fuck. It's not good, you know, quote-unquote. Yeah, It's very broken in a lot of ways, but it is sort of like watching a movie that hopefully we cover on this show one day, which is the Steven Knight film, Serenity. Uh, it's yeah. It's the same feeling of serenity that I get when I watch The Happening. Like, mm-hmm. just... You're on a roller coaster, and it's going way too fast, and your brain's like knocking around in your head, but you're like, I'm okay with whatever damage this is doing, because it's so much fun. Have you seen The Happening, Mason?
1: I have not seen The Happening in a very long time, and I'm only familiar with it with clips, but I feel like that's a movie I would definitely vibe with. You know what I'm saying? You gotta see that movie soon. You gotta see that movie soon, Mason.
2: Um, and then, of course, like you said, Mason, Old just came out. Uh, it was the third movie that I've been back to see in theaters since the pandemic started. The first was in Boise, Idaho, on my trip. I went to go see Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong or whatever the fuck it's called. That movie kind of sucks. Uh, and I also saw, mm-hmm. I guess this, I guess the fourth because you and I went to a movie together, but we were outside. Uh, we yeah. saw Can't Hardly Wait, and then I saw pig with a friend and past guest on the show sienna kresge Um, Pig, shout out to sienna kresge uh and then shout out
1: to sienna and shout out to pig
2: shout out to sienna and shout out to pig uh and then i went to go see old don't like it very much had to take a shit really bad for the last third of the movie uh maybe part of the reason why i didn't like it because i had to take a a shit so bad (laughs) i think that that would
1: i think that that would contribute to it yeah definitely
2: uh, and then my my good friend, someone who I care about a lot, my good friend Mason, you see how calm I'm being right now, Mason? Uh, my good friend Mason McGuire said, we could do The Village as an option like he outlined previously. And I said, yeah, let's do it. I'm so curious what this movie's about. I really don't know what it's about. Truly did not know anything about the movie really going in except that it's considered to be the start of the decline of Shyamalan. And that's my history with this Mm. one, and that's all I'm gonna say. (laughs) At the current, that's all I'm gonna say right now, because I want to throw it back to my friend Mason. No, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up?
1: I want to offer this before we get into this discussion. (laughs) Just, just a thought that I had. Just a thought that I had. That tell me if I'm right or wrong. This the village is to me as the movie Click is to you. I
2: knew you were going to say that because I had the same exact thought. I had the same exact thought. Um, I'm not going to say anything right now. I'm going <laughs> to be very calm. I'm going to be very calm.
1: I'm going to be very collected. I'm going to be very nice I also to my wanna friend. Say, yeah. I also want to say, you did make this choice to watch this movie. You did make the choice to get, to give it a shot and, and, and watch it and i have to say i appreciate that and i'm i'm happy that uh, you gave me the, that 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 you took me up on this and i also have to say as much as it breaks my heart not particularly surprised that this is not a noah movie <laughs> i didn't say
2: that yet i haven't said anything about the movie yet. i haven't, okay. haven't made a, okay. i haven't made a declaration one way or the other that's all i'll say um, mason You're being secretive, though. You're trying to keep. You're trying. You're. You're making me ask. Ask for it, (laughs) Mason. What do you like about this movie? What makes this movie work for you?
1: Um, I I love how M Night Shyamalan's mind works. Where he's something's either going on in his life or something. He's like, I want to make a movie about uh, grief or like what happens when people are uh, experience violence and about not particularly about them, but about the generation after them, the people that they um, are ostensibly creating this environment for. Um, I think it's a very resonant movie and very resonant theme, particularly when this is a movie that comes out in 2004, which is kind of around when we're going into Iraq. We're doing, you know, we just got out of Afghanistan, fresh in the news, and, um, and we're doing that as a response to, like, 9-11, this very terrifying thing that we all went through as a culture. And this is a movie about people who experience violence, like, kind of compartmentalize it, and create this perfect world where they can keep pain out. And it's about how you can't escape pain <laughs> in your life, and you can't escape tragedy, and you kind of have to... Give yourself up to change in order to break that that um, the cycle of that you know like that cycle happening. You kind of have to give it up. Give like uh, uh, um, you have to accept. This is a movie, also I think about accepting change in a way that I think is really, really, really resonant. And about um, I think it's a very deep movie, and I like what it's about. Uh, and I also do not think that it is without its flaws. I want to make that clear. I do not think that this is a movie without its flaws. But like how you're able to look past some of the flaws in a movie like Click, I'm able to look past some of the flaws in this movie. Um, I'm not quite there with Adrian Brody yet, <laughs> which is the by far the roughest part of this movie. How that whole character, and that's also characters with with um, we'll say neurodivergent characters frequently get uh, kind of a, a, a characteristic, like a, a very caricatured depiction in Mike Shyamalan movies. And this is one of the worst, like kind of just straight up most offensive versions of that. Yep. Um, but everything else around this movie, I think that he has a pretty solid idea of... Um, I think that he, he this... I love a lot of the abouts of this movie, like the the the, um, the elements of this movie. And I love what it's about. It's, it's just really resonant to me. And that's just kind of it, I think.
2: OK, uh, I respect what you just said. And I'm going to say I want you to know that I, I respect your opinion around this uh-huh. film.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I just want to make that very clear. I respect that you really uh-huh. enjoy this film. This is the worst thing that we've done on the pod since Farah Abraham. Uh, this, this was such a bad experience for me watching this movie. Uh, it, it, I cannot overstate how much I hated watching this movie, and I would have turned it off had I not had to complete it for the podcast. Wow. Wow. Okay. And I and Mason, I didn't go into it last week. Ha <laughs> ha joke for us. Uh I didn't go into it last week when we talked about Eugene McDaniel's Outlaw. But I didn't like like that album very much at all. And I was like, this is one of the rougher things that I've had to listen to for the pod mm-hmm. in a minute. This <laughs> this makes Outlaw by Eugene McDaniel's <clears throat> feel like loner by Caroline Rose for me. Uh, this is a, this, the execution of the just story of the film, the story of Mm -hmm. the village is like appalling a little bit to me, truthfully. It is like, what do you mean by that? It feels like we've been dumped into the film about 25 minutes into the movie starting. That's how it feels to me. It feels like there's so much going on that we need to know about that's not happening. I don't feel interested in hearing about it because it feels like we've moved past it. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it's... I just don't think it's handled well. Like, I think that the script is a mess. I think that the way that it's executed is kind of a mess. There's just nothing happening here for me that is exciting, interesting, or just, you know, it's just like a mess from start to finish for me. The monsters look cool as fuck. Uh, let's just say that. The monsters do look cool as fuck. They aren't in the movie that much. And I was doing some research about the film. And again, I'm seven years old when this movie comes out. This movie was apparently like marketed mm. as like a monster movie, right? Do you remember that being a thing? That it was like marketed as like a monster movie? Yeah, I killer? remember that.
1: Yeah. That, and I think that that was. Um, uh, I, I don't know how you can really sell what this movie is without relying on those monsters really heavily, you know? I don't either.
2: Like I'm not here to like, you know, play the game of like, how would I remarket this film? But I was just thought it was interesting in the research that I did that this is marketed as sort of a creature thriller a little bit. Like there is like such an emphasis mm. on these monsters. Cause like I said, I knew next to nothing about this movie going in except that of the stigma surrounding it. Uh, and this is like a period romance drama. Like, basically. You know, all things yeah. considered. That just happens to have monsters in it. Um, And I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about a period romance drama 98% of the time. Well, that that's sounds a like personal a you problem. Well, first of all, yeah. it is a me thing. It is a me thing. I don't give a shit about that. Personally. That's why I was so amazed that Phantom Thread even, like, scratched a little bit of an itch. Because I'm like, wow. All the things I don't like about content-wise of films happening in this movie, and then I walk out of *Fountain* Phantom Thread*, and I'm like, oh, that was fucking amazing, because it's PTA. That's not what's happening here for me. I just think this thing is a mess, personally. And that's what I think I don't like about M. Night Shyamalan films, is sometimes they feel like they're just running away from him. They feel like they're running away from him while I'm watching the film, and I don't enjoy like what we're getting into. I just don't enjoy it. And that's, that's really on display for me
1: here in the village. Uh, okay. Um, okay, I don't really agree with the fact that this the movies run away from him is the first thing. I think there are... Ca- yes, I think that he is a guy that lets his very ideas first. But... I think... The way that he <clears throat> can't help that this is marketed as a monster movie. It's ostensibly a a period romance. I think that that's a fair read on it. But I also just think that it would be one thing if this was. You kind of have to take the whole movie, I guess. You know, if you're watching a movie for the first time with no idea of what's going on there you are just kind of taking everything that's that's given to you and sort of categorizing it and, and going after like whether or not um uh, uh uh it's working for you in in the moment or not and i guess you know evaluating it at the end you know that's that's what we do on the show here i really enjoy wa- enjoyed both times watching this movie um because i think that the focus on the period romance uh and i think m night is is also a, a romantic at heart like uh that's an element of the sixth sense too before you know what the the twist is that david uh that bruce willis's marriage is falling apart um and there's you know there's the the classic dead wife in uh si- in signs um and the sort of central character conflict in old is this like uh this couple that's uh, that's like kind of bracing around around divorce i think that he actually has a pretty clear eye on on what he's tr- like the movie that he's trying to make and i think that he use he i i think that this movie is very is and the way that the reason why i think that is one, this movie is shot really gorgeously, and re- and all that the movie's asking you to do is just kind of, like, pay attention to the information that is coming across the this, this screen there, and what is, I guess, being told through that info- information. Fuck, I'm getting way too heady here. Um, Damn. I mean, I am a little disappointed that it there was nothing here for you. I, I thought that you there could be something that you'd want to give a chance, but I'm just really kind of just upset at myself for striking out so heavily. <laughs> two it's episodes not your fault. in a row here.
2: It's not your fault. It's It's literally not your fault. I think this movie sucks, just straight up. I don't think it's interesting. I don't think that what is happening is a compelling story ultimately at the end of the day. And if like if that is not Do you
1: think that you would like it more if you knew the kind of uh, uh, spoilers. So I you know, if my word means anything go out and watch this movie. But do you think you would like this movie more if you knew that they had created this sort of this commune from the beginning like there's the the real like the the present contemporary world outside? And that wasn't, like, the thing that the movie was leading up to? Like, if you knew that from the jump, do you think that you'd have a different reaction to this?
2: Like, if that's established up top in the world of the right, film. Right,
1: like, if that's in the 25 minutes of this movie that you think are missing that I, I disagree with, I think are missing.
2: Um, Probably not, truthfully. Like, I think that maybe that, maybe that twist, although I think maybe it's handled, I don't know. Because there's two twists in this film and we're yeah. are, are we down it we're down to talk about those openly basically
1: spoiler spoiler
2: space right here yeah okay so there's two twists in this film the first twist is that the monsters that these people are afraid of and you know i think that they're basically their alliances ending with are not real they are created by the elders they're community. created by the
1: elders in the town to keep the the yeah they're created by the elders in the community to keep particularly their children like kind of Docile and, yeah, it's and boogeyman afraid.
2: shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the first twist, and Adrian Brody <laughs> gets fucked up. And that character's name is Noah. By the way, Did, is that why you picked the movie? Because that character's name is Noah. I
1: forgot about that. No, I <laughs> forgot that the, the simple Jack character was named also named like my friend.
2: <laughs> um, so that's the first twist. Shortly after twenty-ish minutes at most, afterwards maybe less, uh, you find out that. This movie does not take place in the 1700s. This movie does not take place, you know, out in some rural field. This movie takes place in present day, and is like the present, basically, day of you know,
1: present day 2004.
2: Present day 2004, and is more or less on a wildlife preserve, right? Like that's more or less what like that area is. Like, yeah, it's like walled off, and just you know, whatever. If you're listening to this at this point, and you have seen the movie, you know this, but if you're listening and you want it spoiled, that's what happens. Those are the two twists. I think that that twist, the present day twist, might be handled better, and that's hard for me to say because I think that the like M. Night Shyamalan cameo that happens is like Mm -hmm. like, here's what's happening, dummy. Like, here's exactly what's happening, and he just spells it out for you. Whereas I feel like I pretty much get it in the scene where Bryce Dallas Howard is like there, you know, and like talking to the... But Ranger. did you
1: notice? Did you notice what was on the newspaper pages that M Night Shyamalan was reading? And did you listen to the radio that was also playing in that scene? Definitely
2: no to the race, the, the or the paper pages. But what's going on there?
1: M Night Shyamalan is reading like the the pages that are showing that you know it's basically like I think something. There's a headline that's like eleven killed overseas. Another one says like people killed in you know uh murders or whatever like these horrifying things he's listening to like a radio report at least in the amazon the the version i watched on amazon that i rented was also like like a radio report of like either crime statistics or something like that it's this the the what that happens with the twist the the reveal is the thing that it's Get fixated on it because it's just so shocking or whatever. Oh, it's so shocking, but after that happens, what he chooses, what other information he chooses to show you, I think is really interesting and kind of underlines this point up that I, this movie is really about like, um, like grief and pain and violence. That it's like the world is. Um, I don't think that he necessarily thinks that violence is like a, an innate part of humanity or something. I think that this movie is very much about how uh it's it's um socially kind of controlled, you know. Um and that's one of the reasons why the the Adrian Brody character is so frustrating to me is cuz you can just have that guy be like a weird kind of Travis Bickle loner. He doesn't need to have this like kind of other affectation that's I keep calling him Simple Jack, but there's literally nothing else to call him to compare him to, you know, like Simple Jack from uh, Tropic Thunder, the uh, the character that Ben Stiller plays when he's trying to go after his Oscar or whatever. Right. Uh, it's it, it's really like just a, a truly just like offensive performance in this movie that I don't under, that I don't get why that's necessary when he could just be like a weird fringe loner character that exists on society that those guys exist and they kill out of jealousy or kill out of um pain and, and, and things like that um uh, uh uh he puts on you know i think that that point is underlined because he steals the the coat of the monster and that's like what what destroys him and also the monsters themselves i love that that like kind of reveal that the elders of society are the people that are are creating and like inhabiting the these costumes of these monsters to keep the society docile and and uncurious about what's happening outside of the borders of this town and um also with that m- it's i love the m night Shyamalan cameo I, I i love it every single time it comes up and i think in this one it's particularly notable because in this one since it comes towards the end of the movie i think that's when he's basically like trying to throw in a little bit of extra spice there trying to maybe make some kind of comment about um america or something where he's like we have to pr- protect the border or something like that um that I think that this this is a movie about America to me in a very profound way, I think. It's just right. really what what I love about it so much. I grew up in a wooded area. You know, I liked to, when I was a kid, I liked to imagine there were monsters and stuff running out there, and then, you know, the more that I grew up, the more that I got outside of the woods, and the more that I saw it was out there. I think that this movie is very illustrative in a way that, like, that, that people in power are going to Manufacture enemies to keep you, um, you know, uh, 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 complacent and get them to do what they want, primarily. They get to call the shots. Um, they uh, uh, have, you know, the power of capital around them because the family in this is also uh, billionaires, basically, or related to billionaires. The guy that comes up with this idea is a billionaire. Um, and there's also a, a dedicated force meant to keep those um, – keep, keep that um, – Keep things the way they are. Maintain the status quo, basically. This movie as I think, so that's a very real thing in this movie. This movie is also somewhat, I think, you can maybe read it as naive or hopeful, I think, that trust and compassion um, and, and just a kind of empathetic understanding are the things that may eventually break that system you know because um, another thing that's great about this movie this is about a system that is exists that is probably from stem to stern about 20 years you know like it was probably only if this if the, the cult if the society dissolves after this movie ends it may have only existed for about 20 years it existed until it didn't basically um and i think that that's a useful thing to remember and focus on and that's what this this movie that's what this movie means to me. That's what I get out of it. I can also see and I can also respect just like this not being with your fucking vibe, you know. <laughs> um I, I think, think that that's why I, this movie has been so polarizing for so many years. There yeah. are people that really fucking stand for this movie, um that I'm with, but
2: there's just as I, many people who to, don't. You know. Yes. There's just probably as many more. people who, probably, probably more. <laughs> truthfully, probably yeah. more. Uh, I don't want to spend too much more time being like, you know, I don't like this. You know, I do want to talk about a couple other things regarding this film. Um, but I respect what you're saying. I think your read on it is very generous at the end of the day. I think that what is given to us is not actually as eloquent as the way you're putting it. So I'm actually giving you a compliment right now, believe it or not. Um, Thank
1: you. I can't believe it.
2: I can't believe it either. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh Getting that read out of the film, I think M Night Shyamalan would love to hear you say that. I think that. that well, I'm
1: happy, and I hope he does.
2: I, I hope he emails know, I me. He, I hope I will send you. I will send you an email as M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> being like Mason. I heard the podcast. I'm such a big fan of you specifically on the podcast. Um, but I think that's a very generous read of what's happening. I think it's a fucking mess. I think it's so hard to glean that from this as a first time viewer uh that i just think there's more frustration to be had than gleaming some sort of meaning about maybe you know the iraq war and the war on terror and just war as a in general bush era politics you know whatever early 2000s type shit yeah. i think it's i don't i don't think that's personally i don't see how that's possible as a first time viewer watching it as for what it is um maybe i'm wrong but that's just my opinion on it uh, I do have some things I do want to talk about, regardless of you know liking the movie or not liking the movie. And this is more of a thought. You ready? Can, I, can we do a thought experiment on the pod real quick?
1: Yeah, let me just get on my uh, let me just get on my thought experiment cap. Okay, perfect. Go ahead and get on that thought experiment cap real quick. Howdy, partner! Welcome to the
2: thought experiment saloon. <laughs> yeah, hell, hell, I could entertain some. <laughs> I could enterst- I could entertain some thoughts here. Ugh, hell, I'm just idling by on the porch. <laughs> Do we give too much credit
1: and weight to the twists in M. Night Shyamalan movies as a whole? I think absolutely. I, it's, uh, it is obviously a characteristic of his films that you have to, I think, acknowledge. But so often, I think that that's the only thing that people... That
2: that's is the, what they're looking it, for a lot of the time.
1: That's what they're looking for, and that is the most amount of rope that they're willing to give him. You know
2: what I mean? I 100% agree with that because I do want to make it very clear, and I hope I made it clear in the intro. I like M. Night Shyamalan as a filmmaker a lot of the time. This is the worst I've ever felt watching one of his movies, but on the whole, I like Root for the guy. I love Unbreakable. I love Sixth Sense. I like The Visit. You know, I think when he's having fun, you know. With his movies, I feel like that's when I'm enjoying it more. You know, I think he's having fun in the sixth sense, although he is crafting a very delicate, you know, story about, you know, grief and, you know, like, you know, failed relationships and stuff. Same with Unbreakable. But I feel like there's a sense of having fun in those. In The Visit, he's definitely having fun. That's like a fucking ghost story, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, old, he's even having more... He's having fun in old, like, at least. Like, I don't like old very much, but he's at least, like, obviously having, like, fun with what he's doing again, you know? And I think that sure. is, like, characteristic of definitely, like, the visit forward these last five years with Shyamalan, where I think he's even said it himself, like, I think I got, like, too freaked out by filmmaking, and I wanted to go back to, like, how yeah fun with it, and I wanted to scare my kids, you know, again? Like, yeah. he, at first he wanted to scare, you know himself or whatever now he wants to scare like his kids who are watching this thing which i think is really noble i think he's like a really Mm -hmm. nice dude and like every like interview that i've seen that he's given and like i think he's obviously extremely intelligent you know as far Mm -hmm. as like how he decides to go about things sometimes and you know he's he makes original thrillers and in 2021 the fact that an original thriller can be made that is novel within itself
1: the, pe- the fact that an original thriller can be made, yes, absolutely. And the fact that an original thriller can be made and like hit in the culture so heavily as the beach from old did. <laughs> you know?
2: Yes, and just the fact that someone thought of a beach that makes you old, <laughs> which, Mason, we have to say it. That's where we're recording the podcast <laughs> from right now, is the beach that <laughs> yep. makes you old. The beach that makes you podcast, mm-hmm. um, which don't go to that beach. That beach is one you'll never get out of. Um, but I like him. And that's why I feel so passionately about this film as I do. And I agree with you. We give way too much weight to the twists. We said, you know, as a society or whatever, you know, after The Sixth Sense, he's the twist guy. That's why I'm going to the movie. I'm going to go see the twist guy's movies. The best part of, of Unbreakable are not the twists. The best parts of The Sixth Sense, arguably, are not the twists. The best parts of old are definitely not. The twists. I think actually the yeah. twist in old is kind of weak and not the point. It's become not the point. The point of the movies are that he's telling me stories that actually have a deeper truth to them or a deeper whatever to them. That's what makes him a great filmmaker and an interesting gotcha. filmmaker. Not the twists. The twists are a writing trick. So I agree with you. I think yeah. we put way too much weight on M. Night Shyamalan twists. And that's the thought experiment I wanted to do with you.
1: Yeah. I I like that. And I, I absolutely agree with everything that you've said um i'm just trying to to rewind it back here i'll just i'll end and say i co sign 100% on, on everything you said there i think that he excuse me um they the twists are ultimately a storytelling trick and it is um kind of annoying that he got so like he's got stereotyped as the as the uh, uh the twist guy and not this um here's the point that I wanted to get to get uh, when I was in film when I was in th- thank you everybody wants me to get to the point including myself um <laughs> the some of the best advice I ever got in film school was uh Ron Falzone is a guy that I, I I cite a lot on this podcast and he said that um you know uh, successful movies always leave you with a question um that could be like at the end of that's why you know some like it hot it's like how's this relationship gonna work out Um, you know, what's it gonna be? You know, things like that. Um, I think the best Shaman movies, like the twists are, of course, the the um, you know, the the instrument to bring about this question. But it's like at the end of the movie, it did get me think of this movie in particular to focus it just on the village. It got me to think about like the defense mechanisms that I put up when I'm having a bad time, like what I do, um, to uh, 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 Prevent further bad things from happening. How I make a lot of mistakes doing that, uh, and how you can make a lot of mistakes doing that, and that's just part of being uh, the human experience and things like that. Absolutely. And I think that this is a pretty sensitive movie about that. And I think that M Night Shyamalan for his like kind of his his uh, his his thriller inclinations, and I love that we have like a pretty consistently good thriller director in M Night Shyamalan. Um, or at least
2: an interesting thriller director.
1: Yeah. At the bare minimum, all of his movies are interesting
2: and in the yeah. current landscape that is exciting. We things feel love, so saturated yeah. that a movie that is at least intriguing. That's the reason I saw Old. Was because I am I have got to understand what the fuck is going on at the beach that makes you old. That's why yeah. I paid the money to go see the movie.
0: That's yes. it.
1: Yeah, and I got my money's worth out of that, and where that movie—I don't want to spoil Old, because I think since it's still in theaters, people should still go out and see it. Totally. Where that movie leads you to, and who is using The Beach from Old, that opened up a lot of interesting questions for me, and it kind of became like a moral question at the end that I was not anticipating, which is really why I uh, love and fell for that movie, and also because of everything else that happens in that movie. I had a blast watching The Beach from Old. This is a little... The Village, I think, is a little more of a... It's a movie that is asking you to be a little more patient and kind of accept that it is maybe messy. Uh, may, I don't necessarily agree that it's a messy or, or unfocused movie, but I think it's asking for a little bit more patience than you would give even other M. Night Shyamalan movies. Um, and I, I, I'm I, just so grateful for, for the patience that I invested into this, but... You know, I think you're, yeah, I can understand your points, folks. You were like I said, Noah's definitely not alone in thinking that this is a pretty unbearable messy. watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ebert, my boy, did not <laughs> abide this movie at all. It's will, totally fine. We will be talking about him
2: here pretty shortly. I got his quote pulled. All up, right, his so big quote. I think that I've
1: I've I've made my point here. Um, are you ready to go? Let me double check to make sure
2: that um, I said everything. Um. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do fast facts. Fuck it. Fuck it. Village is a 2004 American period thriller, written, produced, and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin Phoenix, Adrian Brody, Sigourney Weaver, William Hurt, Brendan Gleeson, Jesse Eisenberg, among others.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm being very calm right now. The movie, the film is <laughs> a village whose population lives in fear of creatures inhabiting the woods beyond it, referred to those as, quote, those we don't speak of. The film received mixed reviews. Hmm, holy shit, cra- crazy. I can't, uh, I can't
1: imagine, I can't believe, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot believe that this film was not embraced by the public in
2: 2004. Uh, you mean to tell me... <laughs> Yeah, Bush watching this movie going, I reckon that's a good-ass movie. <laughs> to Dick Cheney, him and Dick Cheney watching it going, I reckon that's good. Dick going, yes, this is that is a good movie, yes. Uh, received mixed reviews with many cr- critics expressing disappointment with the twist ending. Shocker. Uh, the film composer James Newton Howard, the film gave composer James Newton Howard his fourth Oscar nomination for Best Original Score. However, the film was a giant success financially. Miss Mason, Mason. Mm. This was a $60 million production budget. You want to guess how much money this made worldwide in 2004?
1: $300 million. You're close, actually. It's not quite $300 million. $257 million, but you're very close. Damn, but I lost my Price is Right rules in any sense.
2: Bum, 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 bum. The film was originally titled The Woods, <laughs> but the name was changed because a film in production by director Lucky McKee, The Woods, had already, already, already had that title. Like other Shyamalan productions, this film had high levels of secrecy surrounding it to protect the expected twist ending that was known as the Shyamalan trademark. Despite that, the script was stolen over a year and a half before the film was released, prompting many pre-reviews of the film on several internet film sites Mm. and much fan speculation about plot details. Interesting.
1: Interesting.
2: Nowadays, you just wouldn't even have to worry about that because everyone would go see it on an opening night and spoil it for you anyway. Like, yeah, that's just how the Internet's progressed, but that's a whole separate conversation. Uh, The village scene in the film was built in its entirety in one field outside Ford, Pennsylvania. An adjacent field contained an on-location temporary soundstage. The production of the film started in October of 2003 with delays because some scenes needing fall foliage cannot be shot until because of the late fall season. Principal photography wrapped in mid-December of that year. In April and May of 2004, several of the lead actors were called back to sets. Reports noted that this seemed to have something to do with the change of the film's ending. And in fact, the Mm -hmm. film's final ending differs from the ending in a stolen version of the script that surfaced a year later. Always Mm -hmm. problems. Always fucking problems, but you hope that that's a problem that you don't have to deal with. So I do feel badly uh, for M. Night. And I do genuinely feel badly for him in his career, Because I think he got, whether in the court of public
1: opinion or whether in Hollywood, I think he got a raw deal, truthfully. Uh, I think he did for a time. I think he's on the upswing, though. And now that he's back to making movies on his own terms, he has one of the most exciting careers. Like, I can't tell you how happy I got seeing the trailer for the movie Old the first time in the theater, one seeing the premise of this movie and being like this is pretty wild like for this is pretty wild i wonder what's gonna and then the next block of texas from m night Shyamalan, and i'm like i'm there opening weekend i don't care you got me <laughs> like got me excited for an m night movie um and i don't think that that would have been the case like he was definitely like you know it was uh after definitely the happening you know he directs the last airbender which is a movie a much reviled movie and then he directs um the next thing he's in is is after he does his after earth where like he's basically work for hire um but i agree with you i think that he got the raw deal for a long time it, definitely in the court of public opinion um and i don't know i still think that even in that period he made a lot of interesting work there's stuff that's worth talking about i guess uh
2: roger ebert as you mentioned before gave this film mm-hmm. one star uh whoo yep yeah. Me and Raj on the same side on this one. Uh,
1: Yeah, shaking hands.
2: Me and Raj shaking hands, me going, hey, show me what's under the hood. (laughs) Raj, uh, show me if if the curtains match the drapes, so to speak, or the carpet matches the (laughs) drapes, so to speak. Uh, But he goes on to say, The Village is a colossal miscalculation, a movie based on a premise that it cannot support. I agree. A premise so transparent it would be laughable were the movie not so deadly solemn. Agree with the deadly solemn aspect. Uh, To call the ending an anti-climax would be an insult not only to climaxes, but to prefixes. That is very mad. I don't know if I'm that mad about it. Uh, It's a crummy secret about one step up the ladder of narrative originality from it was all a dream. It's so witless, in fact, that when we do discover the secret, we want to rewind the film so we don't know the secret anymore. That's brutal coming from Raj who genuinely tries to uplift movies just as the whole that's yeah. brutal man
1: yeah it's it's really brutal it is interesting that it made him that upset um but he's not always right we should remember this no Critics he's definitely fallible. not absolutely uh i don't know if you heard the the now and then episode they talked about with Kevin Ramirez but he was really unfair to that movie in a pretty in my opinion pretty uncharacteristic way um but hey, I will enjoy it. I will enjoy The Village so that Roger doesn't have to. Well, here's and the thing. so my friend Noah doesn't have to.
2: <laughs> Ebert named the film the 10th worst film of 2004 and subsequently put it on his most hated list. But, Mason, the film has attracted a lot of retrospective reviews. Emily Vanderwerf of Vox said the film may be Yo. Shyamalan's best film. And one of the most interesting looks at the American film industry's early attempt to incorporate the Iraq War into fictional contexts. It's been unjustly Emily. derided. It's been unjustly derided, and now is as good a time as ever to change that. She went on to praise the twist ending, the possible connections between the plot and the Iraq War, and the technical aspects, including the cinematography.
1: Something's which, in the water there. Uh,
2: Roger Deakins shot this film. If that was yes. something we forgot to say. Uh, And he does a great job. He literally is like, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get from Roger Deakins, and you're going to get amazing imagery. It's just like he's one of those guys. Uh, Adam Chitwood of Collider praised the ending, the performances of Howard, Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin Phoenix and William Hurt, as well as the cinematography. He went on to say the film shines when it digs into the theme of humanity's relationship with sorrow and whether pain and violence can be exorcised from our lives or if we're destined to fall prey to harmful sins. Devoid of expectations, the film holds up far better than you may remember. Uh, Chris Evangelista of Film called it, quote, one of Shyamalan's most interesting films and perhaps one of his bests, a melancholy meditation on grief and fear because it radiates sorrow in ways that other films do not. Yes, it does have the expected Shyamalan twist, two of them, in fact, but the film is mm. more than its twists and deserves to be watched with fresh eyes. So Roger Ebert hates the movie. These three folks, Emily Vanderwerf, Adam Chitwood, and Chris Evangelista, have some positive things to say about the movie. Although this is not something you want to do in your work, we have to leave it up to the audience. What do you guys think of the village? You know?
1: I would love I would love anyone that watches the movie based off of this discussion to come at us and share with us what their experience was. Cause this is like this is I'm excited with how polarizing this movie still is. You know, I would I would definitely think that I am in the sort of – I've been on the internet for a long time. I've been in internet movie communities for a long time, and I am as guilty as, as ever as kind of getting around sort of the same thinking, basically. And I'm around a lot of people that like this movie a lot, I feel. And it is exciting to hear that there's not still not a uniform opinion on this movie.
2: You know, another Ebert quote is, I think this is an Ebert quote, only everybody likes bad movies, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that only rings more true when you talk about the village. Uh, I do have a couple, like, actual, like, movie trivia things here real quick, and they're pretty quick, but I'll go through them. Uh, Joaquin Mm. Phoenix made a walking stick for Bryce Dallas Howard during the 19th century preparation the actors participated in for the film. He engraved the name of her character, Ivy, onto the stick. Classic Joaquin. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan initially had a different concept for the those who those we do not speak of creatures. They were originally conceived to be monsters similar to rock drawings featured in the movie's trailers, similar to lions walking on their hind feet, complete with shaggy manes. When the creatures were built to full scale and brought to set, Shyamalan felt the design was completely unbelievable. The creatures were quickly redesigned, most notably with the additions of the red cloak. I've been on both sides of this kind of interaction before. I've been on the side Mm -hmm. of the thing where it's like. Let's see how it's going to look. You see the thing. That looks terrible. We got to redo it. And I've also been the person on the other end where it's like, you put all this work into something, you present it to the person, and then they're like, no, it's not right. We got to do it all over. Both ends of that conversation (laughs) suck in their own separate ways. So I feel badly for both M. Night and the production department, the art department on that. Uh, The inspiration from the story came from two unlikely sources, Wuthering Heights for the period drama and King Kong for the community living in fear of predatory creatures. And then last but not least, Mason, this will really rock your socks, Ashton Kutcher was originally cast as Noah, the Adrian Brody character, but due to scheduling conflicts, had to drop out. That's a very different performance in a very different movie of Ashton. If punked-era Ashton is donning that character. Can you imagine if he pops out in the movie and says, you just got punked, bitch? What he's, like, in front of one of the creatures. That's fucked up.
1: Yeah, when he stabs Joaquin Phoenix. Um... <laughs> you just got punked, Joaquin. Fucking bitch. Good fast facts. I also, I do want to just say, because we didn't talk about it in the actual discussion, Roger Deacon shot this movie. Looks incredible. I also agree. The, the sort of Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin, and William Hurt are tremendous in this movie, and, and Hurt in particular. Um... Are we ready to move on to the next section of this show then? Or do you have more fast facts?
2: That's it. That's all I got. Uh, Mason, who, what, yeah. or which is your Mercedes valuable player?
1: Mine would be, like I was just saying, I think William Hurt. His performance as the patriarch uh, of this town um, really resonated with me. I um, When I was a kid, uh, uh, I did... Um, I was involved with the the Theater of Western Springs in the suburbs of Chicago. Shout out. And one year, yeah, shout out definitely. And one year we um they had Brian Dennehy come to give a speech like oh, wow. to talk at the theater. Yeah, so I got to see Brian Dennehy. And he said this thing about William Hurt. so Will Dennehy and Hurt worked together on this this um thriller called Gorky Park. Uh it's a, it's an okay early 80s thriller. Really it doesn't matter. Yeah. In any case, Dennehy said this thing about William Hurt that stuck with me ever since, that he is an actor that um, is always able to find the character's secrets. Um, And I think that he's just a tremendous uh, screen presence. And I think he's really, really good in this movie as being this this guy that is, um, he doesn't know what the right thing to do is. (laughs) And he is clearly so um, lost, but he's also very smart and very um, kind of a focused on he, he, he's very focused on even if he has maybe harmful ways of of showing that he's careful <laughs> um i don't I, I that performance just really resonated with me this time uh so that's my mvp noah what if anything is your mercedes valuable player well mason i actually
2: have a co mercedes mercedes valuable player if you can believe it uh oh gotta give it up for Deeks. Like I said, yeah, he's one of the all-time great cinematographers. I had no idea mm-hmm. he shot this movie. Didn't know he ever worked with M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, is it my favorite movie that he's ever shot in terms of his work? No, definitely mm-hmm. not. But he's a master. He's a master at what he does. Just straight, he's so good at shooting film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's one of them. And then the costume and wardrobe department led by costume designer Ann Roth. Shout out.
1: Be- shout out yeah I mean
2: you got to admit Mason even when I was sh- you know saying my true thoughts on the movie I did say the creatures look pretty cool
1: you did and you know what I think i'm I'm happy about that I thought that your two were going to be uh the fart and shit that you took after this movie was done <laughs> because uh <laughs>
2: no they said i took those during, during the film. In your afternoon
1: <laughs> <laughs> took
2: those during the in, film and so did the movie. in the
1: seat yeah in the seat in in your basement that you watch these movies and you <laughs> fell asleep in your fart and shit and that's <laughs> okay.
2: and that's the mercedes valuable player
1: uh big yeah. surprises is a do not recommend for me mason what about you full recommend walk don't run if, if uh you want to either torture yourself or have a very rewarding cinematic experience That's listening to this podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is sort of the village uh, of podcasts. In the the film podcast uh, filmography, this is the village. Yeah. I think we're done. (laughs) I think I need to lie down. I think I need to lie down and take a nap for a couple years. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok, if you want. It's all in the fucking link tree in the show description. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, hosted by me, Noah Marger, this week, his favorite songs to sing in the car with special guest Michaela Sin Cavage. Very fun, very funny, Ooh. cute episode. So, definitely going to want to tune into that. Those come out on Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, your local government, YLG, at world on Instagram,
1: your local government comedy on YouTube. That's it. Mason, bring us home. You can find where I'm at at the link tree in the description. Instagram hotdogdebicki or Good Sky Tonight T-O-N-I-T. Um Also on Letterboxd, under my name. You can also find me on the Barn, a podcast about the Shield, or on the um, the same day that this episode comes out will be the um, third part of my of um, my friend Heaven's series on David Lynch. Um, This American Life on her podcast uh, From My Lips to Your Ringing Ears Uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is a very tough movie and uh, there's somewhat (laughs) it's a tough movie you have a lot to talk about with there but I think that her and I had a good discussion on there so you can find me on that show and then every other episode of that show wherever you get your podcasts other than that folks just doing my best to keep cool and I hope you're doing the same I hope you tell someone you love me this week. I hope you do something that you love this week. And while you do that, I hope you're listening to our podcast or waiting for us to see you next time. Bye-bye. Or or waiting for this podcast to be over. (laughs) That's true.
2: Bye. Thanks, guys.